Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Wednesday got a little busy because of some news out of the bayou. Sports Talk Mississippi, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. It's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online. You can find them at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. We'll tell you more about Mississippi Land Bank as we go along this afternoon. Right now, let you know that you can join the show by texting us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. 4395, the ceasefire tech movement initiative moving our region forward through teaching and technology that strengthens our economy, positions it for success in today's digital age, and improves the quality of life in our commu- uh, communities. You can join the movement today at ceasefire.com slash tech MVMT, ceasefire customer inspired. Borky, what's up? Not a whole lot on a Wednesday. There is a lot going on on a Wednesday, though. I mean, in my life, but yes, our show is loaded today. Awful proud of this uh, uh, this show coming up, I think. Well, good. We're going to spend a lot of time on baseball. We're going to spend some time on the NFL. Got a guest from Sports Illustrated coming up a little bit later this afternoon to talk some about DK Metcalf. We'll look at another mock draft that is uh, altogether different from the mock draft that we looked at yesterday. And, hey, that's kind of the thing. I mean, you, you could put out a mock draft if you wanted to, and, you know, is anybody going back and checking these things once the draft actually happens? I don't think there's a whole lot of accountability uh, in the mock draft check behind industry. It's just they put them out there and they just sort of happen. So what's what's interesting to me is sometimes you have guys who follow a lot of NFL but they don't follow college, and then sometimes you have the opposite. You have people who follow college and they don't really follow the NFL, and so you can get you know just based on whoever you're looking at you can get a completely different take and that's what we have from yesterday's mock draft from Daniel Jeremiah who's more of an NFL guy to the one I tweeted out earlier from Tom Fernelli who's more of a college football guy wonder what the right happy medium is <sighs> that's a that's a good question i mean cuz there's a big misses everybody has a big miss everybody has you know somebody they're high on that that nobody else is for whatever reason so my, my guess is it would be interesting is instead of maybe accountability, sort of just putting five or six of them together and coming up with maybe some average positions and sort of doing it analytically and, yeah. and seeing you know who's closest to who. See, to me, that's part of what makes Todd McShay the kind of a go-to is he spends the entire fall covering college football, but then he is also tied to the NFL on a lot of sourcing and spends tons and tons and tons of time working with GMs and agents and all those folks at the NFL level. I wonder if that's maybe the right blend, somebody that sees a lot of these players on the field and actually knows the college game, but also is really involved in covering the NFL. Might be. Might be. I mean, 
I'm not a huge McShea guy myself. I'm not really a big Mel Kiper guy for that for that matter either. The guy I like to, to keep up with is Mike Mayock. Unfortunately, he has uh, narrowed his focus to just one team now. Yeah. Rippy, what's up, man? Not much. You uh, you avoided a three-hour and 58-minute baseball game, which is what you saw the first time Ole Miss and Memphis played, and you also avoided 20 innings, which is what you would have seen if you had been in Athens, Georgia last night. Yeah, I think it was a two-hour and 58-minute game last night. Yes. Who was, so, who so was timing it? Right, right. Yeah, who, who was keeping up with that extra hour? But, yeah, seven combined hits. Oh. Ten walks, though. It's kind of weird. Hey, Dad, so Mississippi State beats Texas Southern last night 5-1. to one. Yeah. Was it a good game or a bad game? It was a, it was a, a good game. I thought it was well-pitched. Um, uh, Texas Southern, uh, their, their freshman uh, right-hander, Alex Olguin, I did not expect him to throw eight innings and get up around 100 pitches coming into that game, uh, for, especially for a guy who you know was topping out around 81, 82 on his fastball. But he kept state off balance all night and did a really good job. And uh, it's interesting to you know state goes from that, and then two days later they'll be playing Isaiah Campbell, who's going to top out what about ninety five, ninety six on his fastball. So uh, state's got a, a, a heck of a turnaround. But I, I thought it was a pretty good game. Had had some moments of drama. Texas Southern really wasn't ever in it, but for state there were some moments there were, that they had to get out of. Let me tell you what wasn't a good game: Ole Miss and Memphis. Final score five to two. Ole Miss, five runs on three hits. They had a double and two bunt singles. Memphis, two runs on four hits, committed two errors, and as a staff, walked ten. Gross. Yeah. Is gross the right way to describe that last night, Rippy? Um, yeah. I mean... Like if this, like the if are you, are you're going, you can go with an alternate perspective. If a midweek game were like a themed party, like these people dressed, like each team dressed to the nines, ten walks, three hits, not a whole lot in between. I'm 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 missing your analogy. I don't I don't get the analogy. How it was very midweekish, like ten walks, like it was a game that took under th- like three hours, but felt like more, like. Maybe the one bright spot. I, I still don't get your analogy, so I'm just moving on. There's a, I don't understand. Games have a feel to them. Where was dressed to the nines? How did that go fit into that? Like someone that goes all out for a themed party. Memphis definitely did their part with it. By okay, I get it now. People. I get it now. Okay. There you go. There you go. I'm a uh, little little slow on the uptake. You'll have to forgive me. Was the bright spot for Ole Miss the start from Zach Phillips? Six innings, three hits, six strikeouts. Yeah, I mean it was the second. Second time he's seen the sixth inning this year. He may have seen it three times, but it's only the second time he's completed six innings. Um, working through some mechanical stuff that he thinks he kind of figured out, and I don't know if he ever actually figured it out, but like there's evidence to show for it because he stayed in the strike zone a lot more, a lot better with his slider. Borky, did you subject yourself to either of these games on the ESPN app? I watched a little bit of the Ole Miss game, but we had house stuff we had to deal with. Uh, last night. I was planning on it. I have my two TV set up now, which I'm going to have to take down because we're moving soon. But uh, yeah, something came up. Had to deal with it rather quickly. So no, I didn't get a chance to. Well, you didn't lose the house, did you? No, no. It was um, inspection stuff. Okay. Uh, Preston on the C Spire text line, did you actually expect Haydad of all people to say it was a bad game? 
Man, if it's a bad game, I'll tell you it's a bad game. You know what was a bad game? Auburn 3, Mississippi State 2. That was a bad game. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's oh, a bad game all day. Is that the only bad game you've ever seen? That's the oh, only no, game I've, I've seen... ever seen from inside Davis Wade in the stands. There you go. I have seen many bad games from Davis Wade in the stadium, in the in the stands, in the press box, on television. Many of them. Many of them uh, through the years. Um, but at the end of the day, it was wins last night. We, we talked about it yesterday. Mississippi State just needed to go out and take care of business, get another win against the SWAC school. They did that, still sitting on only six losses for the year and setting up a massive, massive weekend on the road in Fayetteville for a series that begins tomorrow night. Yeah, huge series for Mississippi State. One that's probably... It's gonna it's gonna go a long way in determining the West Championship, I think, and then it sets state up for you know it doesn't get any easier next week with Georgia. So this Friday, this Thursday night matchup between Campbell and Small, I'm really looking forward to that. I think that's gonna be one, a, a good game, and then the rest of the weekend, you know, we'll see what JT Ginn does. Does he get a full start? We found out last night he was on a pitch count on Sunday of last week. So does he get you know? No restrictions. Can he just go out there and throw six or seven innings? That's something I'm going to be looking for uh, in his uh, his start on Saturday. Uh, should be a, a good good series between two really good teams, and the winner of this series, like I said, I think has the inside track to claim the West title. And, and Rippy, this weekend for Ole Miss is looking more and more important as they go to an Auburn team that's kind of backsliding. We talked about that a little bit. They lost 2-3 of three last weekend. Uh, they lose to Georgia Tech in a midweek game last night. Auburn's not playing great, and teams are scoring runs on them with the exception of that middle game last week where they won 7 to nothing, the Ole Miss offense needs to try and kind of refine itself, and I guess the hope is right-handed arms on the mound for Auburn will allow that to be the case. Yeah, to some degree. They're going to have a hard time with Burns, but after him I think it really opens up with them missing Jack Owen. But, yeah, I mean, it is an important series because it's kind of where the rubber meets the road for Ole Miss because there's not – like there's not a Kentucky or an Alabama left on the schedule. Like it's it's five really good teams. This is might be the weakest team they play going in, um, or heading down the home stretch. So yeah, an important series to start the back half of SEC play. And then there was one more yucky game last night. At least if you're a Southern Miss fan, a South Alabama won four to one in Mobile. Two hours and fifty three minutes to play that one. Southern Miss did not get on the board until the top of the ninth inning when they scored one run. And uh, it wasn't enough, trailing 4-1. to one. They gave up a run in the first, two in the fourth, one in the fifth. Lost that one 4-1. to one. Obviously a non-conference game. Southern missed 21-13, 11-4 overall. This thing is trending, though, pretty quickly for Southern Miss in a direction of they're going to have to win their conference tournament to be in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, certainly you can. there's plenty of baseball to play. You can catch fire. You can really start playing well at the right time of year, uh, right time of the year. But they got to do that because they're not playing great baseball right now and have got to try and correct the ship in a hurry. Correct the course of the ship in a hurry. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll get more into the baseball when we continue with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Good to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Jeff on the ceasefire text line doesn't think the non-conference games really matter at this point for Southern Miss baseball. He says we've got to win the conference tournament, and I don't think that's going to happen with this group of guys. 
I don't know that I'd write them off just yet. I mean, if uh, there's some health issues, and we'll see what happens when you get to the conference tournament. But I do think that that's going to be the route for a bid into the field of 64 for the NCAA baseball tournament. If uh, if Southern Miss is going to be there when it's uh, when it's all said and done, so we'll have to kind of wait and see. Uh, again, I go back to the fact that they just got to start playing better. They got to be cleaner defensively. They've got to get a little bit better with the timely hit, and they got to find a way to uh, maybe not put so much stress on their bullpen if they're going to uh, figure out a way to get themselves into the postseason. So let's dive a little deeper into the, the Ole Miss and Mississippi State games last night. Rippy, let's start with Ole Miss. Uh, we, we talked about Zach Phillips. He gets to 4-1 and one on the year. Parker Caracy got the save at the end of the ball game. Ole Miss used four pitchers last night. Didn't really overuse any of them, though. Zach Phillips goes six innings, uh, a third of an inning for Houston Roth, inning and two-thirds for Austin Miller, and Parker Caracy goes an inning and picks up his seventh save of the year. Any concern about whether or not those guys can turn around and pitch on Thursday? No, I don't think so. Miller maybe a little bit because they are playing again Thursday, but he came into the game really just because Ole Miss wasn't able to create any separation, and the game hadn't been you know kind of put to bed yet, for the ba- lack of a better phrase. Crazy pitch just because he didn't pitch at all this weekend, so I don't think any concern there. Roth faced three hitters. Uh, yeah. Zach Phillips probably not pitching this weekend. Probably not. You think he's kind of in that now Tuesday role for Ole Miss? Well, that and he threw a bunch of pitches, but yes. Um, yeah, I think so. And he's been – he was okay against Southern. It could have – the wheels could have come off in the second inning and he got a couple pop-ups to get out of a bases-loaded thing, but it was pretty good after that. And he's kind of working through some mechanical issues and, and really kind of at the time of his delivery, like he was yanking down really hard with his like glove side, which causes him to go – kind of off plane and out of the strike zone more so he said what he's done is kind of kept him through the strike zone and he's kind of reaching straight out as opposed to down into the left or to the right and he was he's throwing more strikes and throwing strikes more consistently and making better pitches at a more consistent rate is is there reason for concern offensively so if you look at the stretch that started with game three against arkansas rolled into the uh the series against florida uh, continued for, I guess, the first game of the series against Kentucky. And is there anything I'm missing in between those? Or is that that's kind of the stretch? Yeah, you had the North Alabama game where they didn't swing it very well, but just kind of chalk that up to whatever. Um, one run in game one, uh, game two against Kentucky, two runs in game three against Kentucky. They win last night and score five runs, but they do it only three hits, and two of those are bunt singles. Lefties, man. Memphis threw two of them, including the starter. And, yeah, they didn't do a whole lot. Now, your lineup's a little bit out of whack with Ryan Olenek out and Greg Keshinger having to go to leadoff. I actually liked Dillard in the two-hole. It took a physical injury for that to happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely concern. I mean, when you have three hits and their struggles against left-handers continue, it's it's... All right, what, what, so what would be your argument for Thomas Dillard in the two-hole as opposed to Gray Kessinger in the two-hole with Dillard three, Keenan four, Cooper Johnson five, Cole Zabowski six, and moving Anthony Servideo up to the leadoff spot? Now, Servideo against left-handed pitching has one hit all year. I think he's one for 19. No, he's two for 20 after his bunt single last night. What are you asking me to argue? Why would you not leave Gray Kessinger in the two hole where he's hitting five thirty 
over the last 12 games. To get Thomas Dillard more at bats. Thomas Dillard's not hitting 530 over the last 12 games. He's not. But you're not taking at bats from Gray Kessinger by doing that. Where would you put Gray Kessinger? Lead off if Olenek's out. I mean, it's probably not ideal, but like as a short-term thing, not an issue. Okay. So, so you like the lineup that they went with last night? I do. Okay. Uh, just didn't like the results. I mean, I didn't like or dislike the results. I mean, the results aren't there, but I think that's not, predominantly because left-handed pitching. I'm not asking you to wave a pom-pom. I'm talking about the results based on the way they played out. Well, yeah, but I don't think that's a lineup construction thing. I think that has everything to do with what type of pitcher they were facing. Fair enough. Anything else to learn from last night? Um, Ryan Olenek hasn't had gone through any baseball activities at all. Granted, it's Tuesday, but um, Josh Hall made it sound as if he's at least. I mean, he's obviously preparing like he's going to play this weekend. But it, it sounded like there's a real possibility Olenek misses time. Um, Justin Bench hit in a simulated game. He's got a wrist injury. I think he, what he got. I wasn't there for that series. I think it was Long Beach got hit or something like that. But making his way back, still not particularly close. Um, it doesn't feel like Ryan Olenek's going to play this weekend against Auburn, does it? I don't know. I, I really don't. I, I I guess if you're asking me to bet on it, probably not from the way it sounded last night, but that's really more me trying to speculate and read between the lines. But, I mean, bruise, I, don't, like, I don't know how you treat a bruised tip other than just maybe give him a weekend off and then just see how it feels next week. Yeah, I mean, last week we talked to Mike Bianco after their, not this past Monday, but the Monday before, and he said that you know he had taken cuts in the cage after that tough weekend where he got banged up against Florida on Monday. He had done nothing other than put his uniform on and stand in the dugout for the game last night and really isn't moving very well. Yeah, I mean, hasn't done anything at all this week baseball-related. Yeah. Mississippi State 5-1 to one last night over Texas Southern. Hey, Dad, the, uh, the hit count is on. Going into last night's game, Jake Mangum needed nine hits to become the all-time record holder for hits in the SEC. He was one for four with a run scored, so he's now eight hits away as Mississippi State goes to Arkansas this weekend. Do people want to see Jake Mangum get eight hits this weekend? Do they want to see him get maybe seven hits this weekend and then get one against Ole Miss in the Governor's Cup on Tuesday night? Or do they want him to break the record at home against Georgia a week from now? I think if you laid those three options out to Mississippi State fans... I think they would take uh, option B there. The idea of him getting that record uh, in his hometown of Pearl uh, against Ole Miss, a team that he has had so much success against through the years in the Mississippi State-Ole Miss game, I think that's that's probably the one people would take. Hmm. Especially if it was a big hit that drove in a run or turned out to be the difference maker in, in that ballgame. Absolutely. What did you I mean, take away last night? I thought it was an interesting game that you know normally these these midweek games against the teams with the pitchers like uh, like Olgan was last night these guys who don't have a lot of velocity normally around the second time through the order state starts to figure things out and then that's when they blow out for a six seven run inning and it just didn't happen for whatever reason last night they got you know into the eighth inning they put a couple things together but even that rally you know it started with a hit by pitch. Uh, Foskey's uh, single was just a bouncing ball that got over the third baseman's head. And, yeah, obviously Skelton blasted one out uh, for his eighth home run of the season. But 
by and large, State had to grind out this win, and I, I don't know what to really take of, from that. I don't think it was a, a situation where State was looking ahead or anything like that, although that, that would make sense to me because you would think, hey, it's a, it's a swag team and you're looking ahead to that Arkansas series. But State got the win, and like you said, and that's the most important thing. State remains perfect in the midweek. They're 22-1 and uh, in non-conference games. That's what's got them uh, set to be a national seed if they if they continue to win in, in conference. So uh, a good win for Mississippi State. They needed it, and uh, they move forward to, uh, to Thursday night. That was a 1-1 game going into the bottom of the eighth. Yeah. It's a little shocking. It was. It was very surprising. State would, State would get a guy on here and there, but that guy, Olgan, constantly worked himself out of trouble. And I, I was pretty impressed with this that kid. I was like, this kid pitches for Texas Southern. He could be a midweek starter in the SEC the way he's throwing tonight. Obviously, he doesn't have the uh, the great velocity, but you know that's what you expect sometimes from a midweek guy. And I thought he pitched really well. You know, his team played good defense behind him, and and you know. They just couldn't do anything at the plate against Mississippi State's pitching. That was the problem. The State uh, pitched nine hittings of no-hit baseball last night because uh, Southern got Texas Southern got both of their hits in the first inning. And from there on, State didn't allow a hit the rest of the way. So if he had any offense behind him, he had a chance for a huge upset victory. But as it is, State was able to get the win. So Mississippi State got an RBI double early from McNamee to go ahead one to nothing. Texas Southern got their one run in the third inning. And then in the eighth, you had an RBI single from Justin Foscue. A sacrifice bunt from Rowdy Jordan that scored a run, and then Dustin Skelton with the uh, the two run home run to push it out. Well, is that right? I'm missing one. I'm missing a run in there somewhere. Um, anyway, two run homer for Skelton. Oh yeah, four runs in the uh, in the eighth inning to yeah. make it a five to one win for Mississippi State. Paid attendance seven thousand four hundred and two for the game last night. So Mississippi State heads to Arkansas, Ole Miss heads to Auburn. It will be a quiet Easter weekend in the state of Mississippi from a baseball standpoint. You do have Southern Miss at home hosting Charlotte for three games in Hattiesburg, also starting on Thursday night. What about the rest of the SEC? Borky told you yesterday there were some good games to watch. They turned out to be pretty interesting games, pretty intriguing games. Take a look at those when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. It looks like Joe Oliva is leaving at LSU, and the primary candidate, at least as is being reported, and some people that are in the know think Scott Woodward, who is currently the athletics director at Texas A&M. On the surface, you might go, why in the heck would you leave that job, which is a really, really good job, to go deal with the mess that they've got in Baton Rouge right now? You boys want a connection and a reason that LSU should back up the Brinks truck for Scott Woodward? I'll give it to you if you want it. Well, I mean, I already know it, but go ahead. Okay, well, what what what, what do you want? Uh, I just to see if you want to go as far as I'm going with this. Go ahead, yeah. No, no, tell, tell me your connection. Well, he went to LSU, didn't he? He didn't go to LSU. He worked at LSU. Okay. But I think the important thing to note is who he worked for at LSU. Do you happen to know the career path of the current president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert? He was a chancellor at LSU, wasn't he? Or the president, well, or whatever they call it. Immediately before being at the NCAA, he was the chancellor at the University of Washington. 
Prior to being at the University of Washington, he was at LSU. Scott Woodward worked at LSU as a special assistant to the chancellor, advising him on government relations and other external operations. He then followed Mark Emmert to the University of Washington, where he served in an external relations role before being named athletics director. And then when Mark Emmert went to the NCAA, he stayed on for a couple of more years and then got the job at Texas A&M. Given all that LSU's got going on right now, do you think it would make sense to have an athletics director who's got the president of the NCAA on speed dial? Couldn't hurt. Just kind of thinking out loud here. By the way, but that go to LSU. But that implies that Mark Emmert has questionable integrity, and uh, of course, the head of the NCAA saying that is just blasphemous. Wait, you okay? I was, eh, I was looking at a different picture. He did go to he he undergrad at LSU. Yeah, I earned a degree in political science from LSU in 1985. Hmm. Okay, so deep ties. Yeah. Deep ties. None of this is surprising, is it? It's probably no. just how quickly it all happened. Aliva's like there was been a long-term picture there where for... Aliva was going to be there, right? Aliva's been After unpopular there since the whole Les Miles thing, you know, went down. Yeah. Well, we'll get into this story a little bit more coming up uh, later this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. We talked some yesterday about what was on the horizon for Ole Miss and for Mississippi State. Ole Miss going to Auburn this weekend. They host Texas A&M the following week. They go to LSU, host Mississippi State, and then go to Tennessee to close out the regular season. So 15 league games remaining, sitting at the halfway point, Ole Miss is at 9-6. and six. Rippy, you were looking up some numbers yesterday or the day before, and Ole Miss is right on pace with where they have been recently with regard to SEC record at the halfway point. Um, Yeah. I, I mean, I guess strictly from a wins-losses standpoint, it's usually ahead because they're usually 7-8, and 8-7 eight, eight and seven around this time. They haven't been 9-6 and six since... 2014 haven't been better than nine and six I don't believe since 2004 okay um so yeah I mean I guess from a sheer wins and losses standpoint they're ahead but like like this year in a vacuum it's certainly like the optics are different why is it different because of the way they played you lose two out of three to Missouri you don't sweep Alabama and you lose two out of three to Kentucky who came in two and ten but you also have a sweep of Florida and a series win on the road against Arkansas. Florida hasn't proven really they have a pulse. But, yeah, the series win at Arkansas was probably the best Ole Miss has looked all year. Are the optics so, sort of a problem because of the non-conference losses? Yeah, in a way. But I'm not sure how like the non-conference necessarily is a gauge of how good or bad the team is in and of itself. That, to me, is... a kind of a focus and showing up every night type of thing. Well, that and three of their midweek losses are to Louisville and East Carolina. It's not Both like North Alabama. Top 15. Yeah, it's not like North Alabama happened every week. Not excusing that loss, but there, there's no, also it, a caveat there. It's North Alabama, Wright State, and what was the sixth? Tulane. Tulane, that's right. And that Tulane game was... They had the lead in the bottom of the ninth. Yeah, and it was. I mean, that was, that game was kind of hell on wheels with regards to you get a ball in the air and 
just kind of see where it lands. Landed in Metairie. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, everything's still left in front of them, but they're going to have to play well more consistently, I guess, going forward. Because, I mean, the back half of the schedule is brutal. You're talking about State, one of the best teams in the country. LSU, if they can figure it out, pretty good. Um, you know, A and M two lefties pitch it really well. You, you're like the guy that Tennessee. was voting LSU number one at the beginning of the year. If you're sitting here going, "Oh, LSU's still pretty good," no, I actually thought LSU was ranked too high. I thought we were kind of all in agreement on that in preseason. No, what but, he's saying is calling them pretty good right now is like saying that they were preseason number one. Oh, I, okay, I see what you're saying. But like, what do they look like in three weeks when Ole Miss gets there? Like, is Hess back? What does the infield look like? Healthy, they're not bad. Fully healthy, they're not bad. They're not great. But you're still having to go play down there. You're right. And, and history does not shine on that series for Ole Miss. So project it out. What do they do this weekend against Auburn? They win two? I'll say yeah. See, like predictions with this team is so hard because you there's – there's a couple different versions. Yeah, but but humor me here for a second. So yeah, no, let, let's I, assume that Ole Miss plays well or somewhere between medium to well, if not great, for these final five weekends. So you get two against Auburn. That's eleven. What do you do against A and M? Get one. Um, the series is in Oxford. It is. We'll call it one. Historically, they've matched up pretty well with A and M. I know it's a different story with a couple lefties this year. So. You know, until they prove me otherwise, I'll say one. Probably. Okay, that's twelve in Baton Rouge. I'm going to sound ridiculous saying two, but I mean, with the way LSU's currently constructing their injuries, if there were ever a year to get two, would this not be it? Okay, so that's fourteen. Mississippi State in Oxford. You going to give them one there? Or are you going to give them winning the series? It's a coin flip series, so. If you gave them one against A and M, I'll go two against State. But like you could easily flip those. I think I don't think they'll lose both series of those two out of three. At okay, home. so out of those two series, they go three and three. That gets you to sixteen, and then your final weekend is at Tennessee. And that sounds about right, right? Like that would make they sense. They get one at Tennessee. That's seventeen and thirteen in the league. Yeah, but that makes that honestly that makes the state and the two midweek games they have left against State and uh, Arkansas State. Um, and they have one more against Southern? Yeah. Fairly important. Because if they take care of business there, you're at the 20-6 and six mark to where midweek games don't really hurt you. But one more, and you're kind of dinging your resume a little bit. All right, hey, Dad. Mississippi State sitting at 10-5 and five at the turn. Let's do the same thing. They go to Arkansas this weekend. Get one or get two? I've got them getting two. Okay, you've got them getting two at Arkansas, so that's 12. The series at home against Georgia. I think they'll take two. That's 14 at A&M. They're due for a letdown at some point. This could be it. And A&M is a really good, like we said, pitching team. So let's say let's just play it safe here and say State takes one there. Okay, that's 15. What about the series in Oxford? Do you agree with Rippy that that's kind of a coin flip? Uh, I, I like State a little bit better than Ole Miss just because I like small gin better. I'm than, shocked. You know, I mean, I'm just, you know, it, well, I mean, I get that, but at the same time, small and gin are, are a better one-two punch than than. Etheridge and whoever Ole Miss throws on on, on game two, Nikhazy or Nikhazy in game two, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so two yeah, there, that's seventeen. Yeah, and then what do they do against South Carolina? That's a great chance to sweep, but let's just say two out of three to get to nineteen. That's nineteen and eleven. Yeah. My guess is nineteen eleven is good enough to win the West. 
it would probably be probably be good enough to win the West. I don't know if it'd be good enough to win the conference. I could, I think Georgia's going to fall off a little bit here, and I think it's Vanderbilt's going to move up. So we'll see. And State doesn't play Vanderbilt, obviously, um, but it's going to be close. There you go, Borky. Do you have any major disagreement with either of those predictions? Not particularly, no. Okay. I so, do worry so about based, State's bullpen depth, though. I mean, I mean, if if JT Ginn is back and healthy, it makes it a little bit better. But game threes for them, even though they've kind of figured out the starting role, there is still a concern with depth in that bullpen. Aside from one outing for Nikhazy, too, I don't know about the surefire advantage in terms of one-two punch. Now, Sunday's a little different story. Plumlee's been a lot better than whatever Ole Miss has rolled out there. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that there are some pitching question marks for both teams. Probably a few more for Ole Miss. They've been kind of piecing it together on Sunday. A healthy JT again certainly takes one of the question marks away. Hey, Dad, quickly, do you agree that the, the bullpen for Mississippi State still leaves some question marks? There's some question marks there, obviously, but they, they, they have had, they've been up and down, but they've been more up than down. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. I've been saying that all seven series this weekend were Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's not right. Only six of the seven are. For some reason, Alabama has elected to play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, Miss has done that before. They played Tennessee Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Easter weekend in 15. Was it on the road or at home? In Oxford. I think that it's something that they have allowed the schools to kind of decide in recent years, that if you want to, and, and most everybody said, yeah, let's do that. Let's play the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because Easter Sunday crowds at home, probably not nearly what they would be otherwise. Um so anyway, you've got uh, one series, Vanderbilt at Alabama, that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday this weekend. There are no games in the midweek tonight. There were a bunch of midweek games last night, and you had some interesting results down in Metairie for the Wally Pontiff Jr. Classic. Louisiana Lafayette beat LSU 6-5. to sure that sat well with the LSU fans. That's two weeks in a row where they've lost to an in-state team in a midweek game. My man, Handsome Monica, with the game-winning home run. Who? Handsome Monica. You've been following him all season long? So let me tell you about him. He played at Arizona in 2015 when they came to state for a weekend series, and I was just enthralled by the name, Handsome Monica. So last night, I I see that game, so I I went on D1's uh, baseball the scoreboard and clicked on the box score to get the live stats up, and I saw that he played for ULL now, and I was like, how great. And then, of course, he has the game-winning home run. So, yes, I'm a big fan of handsome Monica. Texas A&M drops one in the midweek to Houston. Houston won that game at home 4-1. to South Carolina beat North Carolina in Charlotte last night 5-2. to That was a pretty good win for South Carolina. North Carolina, a top-20 team. The game of the night happened in Athens. So... We were kind of following scores during the broadcast of the Ole Miss-Memphis game last night, and the last that I had seen, it was 2-2, two to two, uh, headed to extra innings as I was leaving the stadium. So I got home and, you know, changing clothes, getting ready for bed, 
puttering around the house a little bit. Jane's doing some work. And I said, I'm going to bed. And grabbed the remote and flipped it on, assuming that that game was over. Well, now it's in the 11th inning, and it's tied 2-2. So I watched the rest of the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, the 14th, and I think I fell asleep during the – or was kind of in and out in the 15th. And Jane at that point had gotten in bed. She was like, do you really care about this game? I was like, I mean, not really. I mean, I just like college. She's like, why don't you turn off the TV and go to sleep and check the score in the morning? So I said, you know what, that's probably a good idea. I kill it, completely expecting when I look at the scores this morning to see, okay, game ended in the 15th. They played 20 innings in Athens last night for Georgia to win 3-2 to two over Clemson. That's kind of worst-case scenario going into a Thursday, Friday, Saturday weekend, isn't it? Forgive yeah. me if this is a dumb question, but I think there's some merit to it. Would you rather lose and play nine innings or win and play 20 against a team like that who will not damage your RPI or anything whatsoever? Uh, I don't like losing. Yeah. No, you don't like losing, but would you rather... I don't like being up till 3 in the morning either, though. Would you rather lose to a team that's RPIs in the top 20 in one game and play nine innings or win and pitch a bunch of dudes and play till 3 a.m.? In a 20-inning game. Again, I don't like to lose. And so if you tell me you got to pick one or the other, I'd take winning in 20 innings versus losing in nine. I understand, I understand your question, and I think it's a very relevant question. And when you're talking about a team in Georgia who was, was 29-8 and eight going into that, probably doesn't matter a lot. Now, if you look up this weekend and Georgia ends up losing two of three to who, Missouri? That's a Missouri team that can pitch it a little bit. Then maybe I rethink that a little. Game started at 7.02. It lasted six hours and 33 minutes. The tough part about the midweek thing is, like, yeah, it's not going to hurt your RPI, but these games count all exactly the same from an RPI standpoint as the weekend games, which seems like kind of a messed up deal. Georgia used seven pitchers. Their starter went five and two-thirds. Justin Glover out of the bullpen, inning and a third. Christofak went an inning. Aaron Shunk went three innings. That's the one that I would worry about. I hate that I had to throw him three innings on a Tuesday. Two-way guy for Georgia. Goodman, no percentage of an inning. Logan Moody worked four innings of relief. And then Darren Pasqua comes on and works five innings of relief. The last two pitchers of the game for Georgia, combined to throw 147 pitches. So yes, Borky, it certainly is a reasonable question. You probably just scratch two of your guys until Saturday at best. I still don't want to lose, though. Hey, Dad, where do you fall on that? You winning in 20 or losing in 9? Winning. Okay. I assume, Borky, because you asked the question, you'd take the loss in nine innings. No, it was just a question. More coming up. One hour in the books with you at Sports Talk Mississippi on this Wednesday afternoon. Middle of the week. Glad to have you around. Have you along for the ride. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky in the studio. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. 
Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that goes along with it for over 100 years. Here's the good news about Mississippi Land Bank, or part of the good good news. If you're in North Mississippi, there's a location that's close to you. Branch offices in Senatobia, Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville. So you can get to a Mississippi Land Bank with relative ease. You can also find the information to give them a phone call. Talk to them about your needs on their website, mslandbank.com. Uh, we're going to switch gears from college baseball, which we spent the entire first hour on, to some uh, NFL discussion here in the 4 o'clock hour. And then coming up a little bit later this afternoon, we will um, we'll have a conversation with uh, a guy from Sports Illustrated who is covering the NFL. I'll tell you about that coming up a little bit later uh, this afternoon. You can text the show, 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. By the way, it's Jonathan Jones from Sports Illustrated who wrote a really interesting piece about Ole Miss, former Ole Miss wide receiver D.K. Metcalf. So yesterday we talked about Daniel uh, Daniel Jeremiah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft. It was uh, 3.0. So it was the third version of a mock draft now just eight days away from the NFL draft arriving. It starts a week from tomorrow. Here's another mock draft. This one comes from cbssports.com. And if you remember yesterday, one of the things we talked about with Daniel Jeremiah's draft was Mississippi State had four players projected to go in the first round. They were Montez Sweat, Jeffrey Simmons, Jonathan Abram, and then Elton Jenkins as well. There were no Ole Miss players in the first round. Different story today is this mock draft from CBS Sports has three Ole Miss players going in the first round and one in the first round from Mississippi State. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Uh, Consensus at the number one overall pick, Kyler Murray from Oklahoma to the Cardinals, then Nick Bosa to the Niners, Quentin Williams at three to the Jets. So they've got him ranked uh, a little bit higher than some of the other outfits have as far as defensive linemen go. Remember, yesterday we looked at Ed Oliver, the defensive lineman out of Houston, who at one point was projected as the number one overall pick that was going into the football season by a lot of places. It's kind of dropped out of the first round in some spots. I think Daniel Jeremiah had him yesterday at uh, at 15. This draft's got him at 10, going at 10 to the Broncos as a defensive lineman. Josh Allen to the Raiders at number four. Dwayne Haskins to the Redskins at number five. Doesn't that make so much more sense than Cincinnati? The Redskins? Yeah. Washington trading up to get him makes so much more sense than Cincinnati taking him. Because Washington actually needs a quarterback. They're one of three, four teams in the NFL that actually need one probably for this season. Nobody else does. So this makes a lot more sense than Cincinnati yesterday. It does if you think he can start right away. They need somebody to. Yeah, fair enough. Hey, Dad, how about this at number six? Montez Sweat to the New York Giants. The write-up says maybe the Giants were planning to take Haskins or maybe they were planning on taking an edge rusher all along. Whatever the case, 
The choice is a lot easier in this scenario in a spot where the Redskins traded up and took Dwayne Haskins at five. Yeah, I think if Haskins is there at six, that's where the Giants, they almost have to go. Uh, but this Sweat going at six makes a lot more sense to, to me than yesterday's draft of him going at 17. I, I really don't think he'll be there past probably even the Lions at ten at eight. Um, CBS Sports has got the Jaguars taking Jawan Taylor at number seven. The Lions taking LSU linebacker Devin White at number eight. The Bills taking Jonah Williams from Alabama at nine. We mentioned Ed Oliver at ten. Drew Locke going to the Bengals at number eleven. So Borky, this goes back to your your question from a second ago. Clearly, everybody thinks the Bengals are taking a quarterback in the first round. Yeah, I just I cannot believe with all of the holes that that roster has, and it is abundant. They will waste a pick on a quarterback when they have one that can win games. No, maybe he's not an MVP. He's not a $35 million a year guy. Maybe he'll never win a Super Bowl, and maybe he's not good enough to win a Super Bowl. But does Drew Locke do anything more than what Andy Dalton can do for you? No. So why are you picking Drew Locke when you have so many more holes on your roster? I don't get this practice in the NFL at all. Does it have anything to do with Andy Dalton's age? That he's 31? It's not that and old. And they feel like it's time to start planning for the future? I mean, 31 is not that old. He's got 10 years in the league. I know that, but it's still not that old. He's got a good seven more. You think Andy Dalton is a 17-year NFL quarterback? If he stays six, well, I guess what I think I could be wrong. I think what Borky's trying to say is physically he could probably play another seven years. Yeah. That doesn't mean you have to start him for seven more, but you have longevity with a guy that you know can be successful in the league. So why are you taking Drew Locke just to take him? He's a good quarterback. We saw, I mean, he broke records in the SEC. We saw him. He can play, but he's not a can't miss generational. He's not Trevor Lawrence, that's for sure. Yeah. So why are you wasting a first-round pick on a guy like him? And then you can go into the 2019 season and hashtag lose for Lawrence. <laughs> so... Actually, you can't. Never mind. He's only a sophomore. You can't hit him next year. You get Tua. Wait, is he not going to be a draft-eligible sophomore? No. He is a true sophomore this That's year. That's right. Two more years of Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. Oof. By the way, ESPN released the FBI today. Clemson has the highest uh, percentage to play for a national championship, according to FBI. By a long shot. It's the highest preseason percentage to play for a national title ever in the history of the FBI. 83%. How about that? Pretty impressive. I mean, Clemson lost some right. dudes, too. Yeah. Not enough dudes. So rewinding to yesterday's conversation about um, Kirk Cousins, you like Andy Dalton or Kirk Cousins better? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> do I have to? Um, they both can serve a purpose. Uh, they both are, are guys the, that... The numbers aren't even close, Borky, no, as I far know. as production. I know. But also Kirk Cousins in December against teams with winning records is still not good. It's horrible, yeah. actually. Four career wins total against teams with winning records. Okay. 
Is Andy Dalton's record significantly better than that in no. December? No. But I'll go back to the, the Bengals just need so much more than a quarterback. I think the, the the Vikings are a better quarterback away from being a Super Bowl team. I mean, where's their weakness? They were That's right there point. two years ago. Maybe they believe that that Kirk Cousins is good enough to get them to a Super Bowl. It's what they're quite literally banking on. Yeah, to the tune of $28 million a year. Packers taking Cleveland Farrell out of Clemson as an edge rusher at number 12. Dolphins taking Rashawn Gary at 13. Steelers uh, in a trade with the Falcons taking a cornerback at 14. Greedy Williams going to the Buccaneers in a trade with the Redskins. I guess it was trading down to that spot. Daniel Jones, the quarterback out of Duke at number 17 to the New York Giants. So that's two drafts in a row where we've seen Daniel Jones going to the Giants at 17. Giants love their David Cutcliffe quarterbacks, don't they? Them trading for Rosen were way easier to rectify last year's draft mess. Not that Saquon's not a good player, but they needed a quarterback and they did nothing about it. What do you think the Giants could trade to the Raiders to get Rosen? Could they trade the 17th pick of the first round and a second round? I'm sorry, with the Cardinals. I think they could do a second rounder depending on who the players are in the package. Yeah, I agree with that. That's why you're getting, whoever gets Josh Rosen is getting the cheapest franchise quarterback of all time. So you think they could give up the, the first round pick this year, a player or two, and what, a second round pick next year? Or you think it's got to be multiple draft picks this year? I think a second round pick to this year plus a couple players. So you don't think the Giants would have to give up their first round their second first round pick to get Josh Rosen? The Cardinals aren't attached to like keeping him. Like you're, they're not having to pry him from his hands. They're openly shopping him. Greg Little going at eighteen to the Vikings, which is a big difference in not even going in the first round. DK Metcalf to the Colts at twenty one. And there was one other Ole Miss player, A.J. Brown, to the 49ers at 31. We'll continue to look at this when we come back. So we just kind of raced through those last uh, few picks in the first round. Let's go back and look at them uh, a little more closely, uh, at least for the, uh, the Mississippi guys. D.K. Metcalf to the Colts. They've got this in a trade with the Seahawks. Here's what CBS says. I think the Seahawks will shop this pick. They only have four picks in the draft. While doing so, they come across the Colts, who are happy to move up five spots and grab the first receiver in the draft, another weapon for Andrew Luck, and somebody who will help divert attention from T.Y. Hilton. The Colts send picks 26 and 89 to Seattle. Is that something that would make sense for Indianapolis to, to trade up to get a guy like D.K. Metcalf? The only reason I'm not thinking they should trade up is, you know, I don't think Seattle's going to take him there. And then if you look at this mock draft, the next there's not a, a wide receiver that goes between there and 26. It seems to me like he would just be there at 26. So does the, the, the pick make sense for the Colts? Yes. Does it make sense to trade up five spots and have to give up what appears to be a third-round pick to get it? Maybe not. Well, there is worry about Baltimore and Oakland slash San Francisco slash wherever the heck will take them this season, the Raiders, 
uh, drafting a receiver, specifically DK, in that spot. Well, in the write-up, for example, about the Ravens at 22, most mocks have the Ravens taking a receiver here, and they very well might. I know I've had them doing it in previous mock drafts, but with Devin Bush falling and still available, I think the Ravens find a possible replacement for C.J. Mosley. So it, it may become a thing where, yeah, if the receiver we want is available, we'll take him for the Ravens, but if the one that we want isn't available and there's somebody that has kind of fallen and there's a really good value pick there, we've got other needs as well. Devin Bush is going to be a good player in the NFL, isn't he? Yeah, and the and the Ravens drafting a wide receiver with a quarterback that can't complete passes is an interesting strategy. <laughs> Maybe the thought is getting a couple of really good wide receivers will help. Uh, Josh Jacobs to the Raiders at number 24. That would be the first running back taken. Isn't there kind of consensus that it's going to be Josh Jacobs as the first running back off the board? Which is insane. He was the third string running back at Alabama the last two years. But might have been their best running back. But how does this happen? I mean, this is this to me is the ultimate statement about Alabama football. Their third string running back is going to be a first round pick. It's insane. Isn't that what maybe NFL teams love the most about Alabama? Especially in drafting their running backs, is Not a lot because of Nick Saban always has a stable, they got a bunch of miles left on the tires. Yeah. Yeah. I mean for sure. For sure. That that's something that is definitely something especially with Jacobs, I mean I have to go back and look, but I would be amazed to find out he averaged more than 12 touches a game. Um, Christian Wilkins from Clemson at 30 to the Packers. Here's what they say about A.J. Brown at 31 to the 49ers as part of a trade with the Jets. The Rams aren't enamored with anything here, so they move down five spots and pick up a fourth-round pick. Okay, it gets a little inside baseball. San Francisco uses the opportunity to draft Brown. Brown, along with George Kittle, Dante Pettis, their bevy of backs, and maybe even a healthy Marquise Goodwin, give the Niners a lot of attractive options on offense. So that's more about helping out the 49ers as opposed to really why they would take A.J. Brown. What's your gut feeling here, Borky? Does A.J. Brown end up in the first round? He might sneak in, but I, I don't mean to, to be disrespectful. I hope he falls to the second round so the Saints can get him and he'd be the complimentary slot receiver to Michael Thomas, and then that offense becomes a, fall a long way though. Becomes a plague instead of just deadly. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I never heard anybody use the plague as a, a positive. Plague as opposed good. to deadly. Uh, the the positive plague reference. I like it. Rippy, what do you think? AJ Brown first round or no? It's so hard to project this stuff, though, because like you don't really actually know when any team is targeting until right before. So And what trades are going to happen. Right, so I don't know. I'd go about a coin flip. I think, like, would it shock me if he slipped in the second round? No, not at all. I would, I would literally probably give it 50-50 chances late first, early second. I do find it fascinating. This year more than most, and there's, there's always disagreement, and there's always trades and stuff that we don't expect, but generally there's a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. And we go from NFL 
com writer yesterday and a CBS guy that's really, really smart, really good football mind today, and their mock drafts are almost opposite of each other, with the exception at the very top. Hmm. I've never seen so much, uh, what, what can we call it, parody, maybe, in what people think is going to happen in the draft, and it's eight days away. Yeah. Except for Kyler Murray at the top, which still I am, after drafting a, a very capable franchise quarterback a year ago, the Cardinals decided to take a flyer on Cliff Kingsbury to be their head coach in a five foot nine and a half. I, I buy into the conspiracy theories that he hasn't gotten measured since because there was something up with his measurement at the combine, but that's a different story. A five foot ten quarterback. Whoa, 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 black helicopter man. What could have been up from a conspiracy theory standpoint with his height? It's it's a running joke, but there are people that are curious at least as to why he will not why one they would not let anybody photograph or videotape the measurement at the combine and two why he won't get measured in height again. If you're 5 foot 10, why aren't you getting measured again? Why should you get measured again? Cuz a lot of other guys do. But why should he? Because the if question was 10, about his height. 10. The question was about his height. He went to the NFL freaking combine. Yeah, and not banned, his own pro day. And banned photos and videos from the measurement. Who did? They, there's no photos or videos of the measurement. None. Do we have photos and videos of measurement of other guys? If we wanted them, yes. Do we have them? We can get them if we ask for them, yes. Uh, who who has asked for it that it's not out there? <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, if you requested this personally, Borky, no, I might. I don't really buy it. I just do. I think it's funny that that's out there because they are being very weird about this measurement. It's it's odd. It's odd. It's there's more concealment of his measurement than anything else in sports. Like it happened once behind closed doors, nobody saw it, and it'll never happen again. Hey, Dad, you got a big noggin, right? It's it's large. Borky, do you have a big noggin? Or is it normal size? I'm just trying to figure out what size tinfoil cap we need to get for you. <laughs> I don't actually believe it. I do find it funny, but he's five foot ten. He's a five foot ten quarterback, a one year starter in college in a system that is clearly beneficial to the quarterback on a team where the talent. You watched you, him. Can he play in the NFL or not? I don't know. Because a lot of guys could play in college and couldn't play in the NFL. Is he better in college than Johnny Manziel was in college? I say no. Ooh, not as electric, but a better passer. I say no, and we also. I mean, now granted, Manziel has a lot of personal issues, but well, but the other. I mean, okay, let's talk about why Manziel was so good from a passing standpoint at Texas A&M. It wasn't because yeah. he was an unbelievably accurate passer. Look at the guys well, he, had, he had, a, had to throw to. And he had three first-rounders in front of him blocking. So, But, I mean, it's not like Oklahoma is devoid of talent. All right, hey, Dad, let, let's get to the other part of this, the fact that there's only one Mississippi State player in this first-round mock. That uh, Jonathan Abram is – this is so hard for me to understand. It's not that some drafts have him – as the 28th pick, and some have him falling to the second round. It's that some mock drafts have him at 15, yeah, and some have him on day two. Well, that's not even, to me, in this particular draft, what makes the least sense. 
they have the Patriots taking Jerry Tillery, a defensive tackle out of Notre Dame, with a 32nd pick. There is no way you can convince me that the Patriots, if Jeff Simmons is there at 32, aren't going to take him. That that is a Patriots pick. That is, I agree. you know, we're going to stash this guy for a year, and then you're you're not going to know what hits you. Yeah, there, there's no way there you can convince me the Patriots would pass there. And then with Abram, I mean, I agree with you. It, it, and this one goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the or the beginning of all this, where you just never know with these mock drafts. I think Abram is going to be a first round pick in the late twenties. That pick that the uh, he's got the Seahawks uh, trading for the Colts. That 26 picked, I've seen Indianapolis taking Abram there in two or three different mock drafts. So I think Abram will be there, but I definitely think Simmons is going to go in the first round at this point. I think everybody feels good about it, the way he's rehabbing right this second. And I, I just I just think that a late first-round pick, one of these good teams that can afford to stash him, or maybe even a team like the Raiders who have three first-round picks, they might take a chance there. So, yeah, I, I don't see Simmons dropping out. Well, and then Elton Jenkins was kind of a borderline first round pick regardless, I don't know that so that's not surprising. I, I don't know. He'll be a mid second rounder, but he'll be fine. But yeah, Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. There's some NFL scheduling news that is coming out later tonight. Some of it has already leaked. What about the Saints? What about Thanksgiving? Well, that did not take long. Uh, WAFB Channel 9 in Baton Rouge, uh, updated at 4.04. LSU AD Joe Oliva has resigned from his current position and is transitioning to a new role as special assistant to the president for donor relations. Yeah, that's going to work well. So Oliva out as the athletics director, and immediately people started pointing to Joe Oliva, Joe Oliva's replacement being Scott Woodward from Texas A&M. I actually called and asked somebody that I I thought would have a good idea if this was going to be Herb Vincent's job. Herb Vincent, now in the senior leadership group at the SEC, and he said, no, I think it's going to be Scott Woodward. It's done. Billy Lucci at, um, is he Tex-Hags? Is that where he is? Yes, he is. Yeah. Per multiple sources, Scott Woodward has signed on to become LSU's next athletics director. The Baton Rouge native is heading home. From Baton Rouge, went to LSU. I screwed that up earlier. Hey, Dad, my bad. Thanks for correcting me. You're welcome. Worked at, worked at LSU under Mark Emmert. Followed him to Washington, became the AD at Washington. Went from Washington to, to Texas A&M. And really, by all accounts, did a good job at Texas A&M. Like, A&M fans are, are now frustrated with their leadership for not doing what they could to keep him. I don't think this was a thing where they were ever going to keep him, though. This feels I mean, like a really good move for LSU, doesn't it? I mean, what, what is it with A&M getting these, you know, first Bear Bryant, now this. You know, mama calls and you have to leave. <laughs> I feel bad for him almost. Uh, yeah, this, first I time mean, Scott Woodward has been compared to Bear Bryant, I would probably guess. Probably so. But, I mean, yeah, you said he did a great job. I mean, he hired Jimbo Fisher and Buzz Williams. Those are big-time hires. Big time. And and now he's going to go back to, you know, go back to his alma mater. Where, he, you know, football, they're in a good place right now. Orgeron has, has got things going the right direction. You'd like to see him take a step forward and, and compete with Alabama. But, you know, it is what it is. LSU basketball, 
Well, you're wading into a little bit of a, of a storm there. You know, we're gonna have to see what happens. That's a with great the NCAA. unintentional pun, by the way. I didn't even. Yeah, I didn't even. I didn't even catch that. Good job, Orky. Uh, yeah. So. You know, LSU as an athletic department really should just run itself. It's all about the hires you make. So we'll see if you know he doesn't if he's going to need to make a basketball hire. I can't. I guess Wade's going to survive this, but beyond that, I mean, they got the guy they uh, wanted. I'll say that. I don't know if I think that Will Wade's going to survive this just yet. Okay. I mean, maybe go either way. He certainly is going to get paid for longer than it looked like he was going to get paid. You think that they just got to work out some legal stuff is what you're getting at? No, 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 no. No, I think LSU wants to keep him. I'm just not sure that ultimately they're going to be able to. But the the point I raised earlier was you got to deal with the NCAA. Okay, I, I was kind of being lighthearted when I said Scott Woodward comes on and he worked for Mark Emmert, but it can't hurt, right? No, not at all. And the NCAA is inconsistent, and part of that is because there are humans that run it, and humans, whether fair or not, also have prejudices, and some can be from personal relationships. If they had a good working relationship before, it's reasonable to expect LSU to be treated somewhat differently. I would say that whenever this basketball mess wraps up at LSU, they will not be investigated for anything again while Scott Woodward is their AD. Probably not, assuming none of their other coaches get caught on a wiretap. I mean, their hospital scheme got exposed, and there has not been a single story since the day that broke written about it. I was about to say, has that actually fully been uncovered? No, because nobody wants to uncover it. The folks at the, uh, the Advocate in Baton Rouge did win a Pulitzer Prize yesterday. I'm not questioning their it ability. Was I was honestly just asking. Oh, no, I, no, I'm with you. Um, I do think, though, I, I don't fully understand the inner workings of front office stuff in college athletics. I've never worked in a front office, but with with football in LSU, you've heard me say this before if you've listened to the show long enough. I think LSU football has not been anywhere close to what it can be. I think LSU football should be on the exact same level as current Alabama, current Clemson, current Ohio State. They have more talent within that state than anybody else. They don't compete with anybody in that state for talent. They have an insane fan base, an insane home atmosphere. It should be a college football power. And maybe having a new athletic director in will not let a three-loss season be considered good anymore. Because even though I expected a lot worse from LSU and I have to eat crow on what I thought they were going to be, you're still talking about a program with those advantages celebrating and everybody talking about how great of a coaching job it was in a season in which they lost three games. LSU should be so much... They should be a national college football power. And having competent leadership, if in fact that's what this is is not good for the SEC West because LSU has not come anywhere close to achieving what they are capable of considering the advantages that they should have in football there. Two national titles in 20 years still qualifies as a power, though, right? Oh, they're still a power, but they're not what they could be. They are in the company of who? I mean, Alabama is all by itself. 
Well, I would sure say Clemson ever... is parallel with Alabama right now, and Ohio State, if, if they're not up there, they are a very, very, very close third. I would agree that Les Miles' last couple of years were underwhelming, but I don't think they're going to able to reach, quote-unquote, the program's full potential until the guy in Tuscaloosa calls it quits. Maybe so. But you didn't. That's ex- a pretty big impediment. It is. It absolutely hey, Dad, is. Hey, Dad, is there any example of an athletics director in the SEC leaving one school and going to another, and then some somewhere in the future hiring the football coach that he had at his previous school? Boy, that is a very specific question. Uh, I believe, however, there is an answer that says yes. So, so I'm not trying to get too far ahead of things here, but let's say that Scott Woodward doesn't believe in Ed Ogeron the way that Joe Oliva believed in Ed Ogeron, and a year or two from now he decides to make a change. Would LSU and Scott Woodward go after the guy that LSU and Joe Oliva were not able to get a couple of years ago? I mean, and Fisher has always been tied to LSU since yeah. for, for such a long time. I mean, if he's successful at Texas A&M, you know, if he can get them up and running, then yeah, I would imagine so. It's LSU. They should be able to call any coach in the country and at least make an offer. Well, they've got to overcome the brainwashing. We've got to take that into account. What at A&M? Although, uh, uh, although <laughs> what was the what was the uh, the Jimbo Fisher contract? Seventy-five so, million guaranteed. It was ten years, seventy-five million guaranteed. From a power standpoint, why is a and M? And I'm not asking like a point of question here. I'm literally just asking, why is their ceiling any different than LSU's? It should not be. I don't think. It I don't is. think it is. The only difference is that they have a in-state, not in the same conference, but they have a powerful team in the state with them, with Texas, and LSU does not have that. Who is the bigger brand within that state as well? Right. And it is. It's a weird place. A weird people. It's not. Texas A&M doesn't sell itself on visits as much as LSU does. It's still, I mean, the facilities are incredible, of course. But it's not, it's just different. And you know what I'm talking about because you guys have been there. Yes, College Station is a very unique place. In in some ways, it's a weird place. Um, oh, it's a cult. Some mince words here. Yes, it is. You dropped an alien during that midnight yell or whatever, they'd be like, oh my God, send me back to wherever. <laughs> the alien? Would yeah. want to go back home? <laughs> <laughs> but point still stands. Have they you been to Midnight be Yell? No, I've seen videos. I went two years ago just because I wanted to see it for myself. Once was enough. Look, and I'm not knocking it either. Like, I appreciate the passion. Like, it's a cool thing, but. Like, you put an outsider there that's, you don't even have to say alien, like put someone from like Europe that's never been to an SEC game. I think they would think it was cool. I'm not saying they wouldn't, but they'd be like, good lord, this is intense. Like, where do I get my tribal tat? <laughs> don't sacrifice right. me. How about this question on the ceasefire text line? You guys just mentioned that LSU will not reach its full potential until Saban leaves Alabama. When that happens, do you think that LSU will take over as the top team in the West, or will it be A&M or Auburn, or will Bama make a hire that keeps things going and they stay at the top? Man, that's a say, good question. I think the answer is all dependent on Mr. Dabo Sweeney. 
Yeah, if he goes, Bama can stay at the top. Otherwise, I think there'll be parity. I think you'll see a year where A&M's there, LSU's there, Auburn's there, Alabama's there. You didn't say Mississippi State and Ole Miss, though, did you? Uh, I, that would be There's a resource discrepancy yeah. that is There's near a little bit impossible to overcome. But the chances for them getting there increase greatly once Saban is gone. The chances for everybody to make a move up increase at that point. Right. I mean, you, I think you cheer for continued success for Dabo at Clemson. Yeah. You, you want him not to have a reason to go to Tuscaloosa. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Glad to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon. Um, so some of the NFL scheduling news. Told you that that was out. We, uh, Borky, got the, the entire Saints schedule. Is this credible? Yeah, it's credible. It's from a guy that, that covers the Saints in, in a beat writer capacity, and, and he seems fairly confident that this is the way it is. He was confused on uh, the what date they will be on the road versus home against Tampa and Carolina, but he thinks he has that worked out. So this is what at least a beat writer has has learned via sources is their schedule this year. Same thing with the Cowboys, but we don't have their full schedule yet. We have about, what is that, four, eight, nine of their games so far. I'll keep looking to see if the rest of them have leaked yet. All right, week one for the Saints. Monday night football with the Houston Texans in town. That's a fun way to start the year. Wish we could find a way to get John up here in the studio with us for a while before that one. We Wish might we find, find a way, a way to get to Richard into the game live. That would be better. <laughs> hey, Dad. <laughs> you, you and I were thinking the same thing. I said, we may yeah. find a way to get Richard in New Orleans for that game. Yeah. I think, I think don't, don't just say Richard Mississippi here, yeah. slash Louisiana. Let's go. Yeah. That might not be the uh, word. It seems like there's some uh, restaurant bar there called Manning's. And, or Deuce McAllister also owns a place down there. I so. mean, can't we just go to some non-biased restaurants? They got plenty of them. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Which restaurant that's really close to the Superdome do you have a hookup with where uh, we might be able I'm to just get saying into a, all. a show? I, I'm well, just so saying. am I. <laughs> so am I. Um, back-to-back trips to the West Coast. That's tough in Week 2 and Week 3. They very well could start 0-3. And play Don't well and start 0 and 3. Do this. What are you doing with yourself? Hey, They're going to murder the Rams. That is a revenge game waiting to happen. That happens six days after the season opener on the opposite side of the country. They'll be fine. And then they'll fly back home to New Orleans. And five days later, they'll fly west again for a game against Seattle in week three. Brutal. Then the Cowboys at home. Yeah. I mean, Borky, if you want to, I get to deal with the uh, the Dak fans again. Yeah. (laughs) I. (laughs) Well played. Yeah. I mean, Borky, if you want to make them zero and three, you could make them zero and four. They they don't catch a break until week five with Tampa for sure. Then back to back. What is this we're doing here? This was the best team in the NFC last year. And they and still lost to Tampa at home be, week but, one? And they should have lost to Cleveland in week two. But they got it figured out. 
Oh, for sure. You can't really tell a ton from the first two weeks of the regular season. But I guess my point being, I guess week five is late enough. But, like, while you're still kind of trying to figure it out, wouldn't you rather have some of those perceived, like, breaks or buys later in the year? Maybe that's just a hot take. You string a bunch of wins together, it's a good point. Yeah. Right, because, like, the, the, the Saints week six last year are not losing in the Dome to Fitzmagic. <laughs> right? I mean, Probably, you, probably not. Right? Right. Fits magic. Yeah, the magic had kind of worn off by then, hadn't it? Oh, it's not over. He's in South Florida. All he did was just go to a bigger city. And uh, there was a story today that he described his uh, weight gain over the off season due to a little too much birthday cake. So just, just so we're keeping the record here, two of the last three quarterbacks for the Dolphins have eaten too much birthday cake, smoked too many cigarettes, and said they don't need to be in that great cardiovascular shape as a quarterback. The other one being Jay Cutler. <laughs> Is Tannehill dead, <laughs> by the way? I just don't think he can stay on the field. Well, he's in Tennessee now, and Marcus Mariota's yeah. going to get hurt this year, so then he'll have a chance to also get hurt this year. Yeah, they, they, get fired they, up, Rippy. They got some insurance for the ever-durable Marcus Mariota with, <laughs> with Ryan Tannehill. From one glass arm trailer for, for, to for another. Hey, week 13... New Orleans on the road in the Dirty Dirty taking on the Atlanta Falcons on Thanksgiving night. Could you imagine? I mean, what a miserable night. Let's pretend you're an Ole Miss fan who's also a Saints fan. There's a lot of them in this state. You could, in the same night, have to deal with your in-laws, watch Ole Miss lose at Mississippi State, and watch the Saints lose in Atlanta in the same day. Could you imagine that? That's not going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen either, but oh my gosh, could you imagine how miserable that day would be? Well, you you look at it both ways, too, because I know at least from an Ole Miss perspective, and probably a lot so from State, you probably have State Falcons, Ole Miss Falcons, too. I know it's mostly Saints, but like, is anyone really going to be 100% happy? (laughs) That's going to be the worst sports day in this state's history. In the least surprising announcement or leak of scheduling news, the Cowboys and the Giants will play in Week 1. Kind of happens every year, doesn't it? Feels like it. Two hours with you in the books. College football fix just around the corner, plus a chat with Jonathan Jones from Sports Illustrated about DK Metcalf. That's in the 5 o'clock hour when we continue in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you just after 5 o'clock on this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio in Jackson. Hey, Dad's in Starkville. Rippy's in Oxford. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Nine five. Borky, did you just say you don't like your in-laws on the radio? No, I love my in-laws. It's a great family. What I was saying is there are a lot of people out there that do not like their in-laws. And so knowing that, they also will have to deal with that and also watching their two football teams potentially lose all on the same day. That question was from Strider in Indianola. Hey, Dad, from Tyler and Brandon. Hey, Cross, did Borky just have a Freudian slip and say he didn't like his in-laws on the air? <laughs> uh, I should be more careful with how I word things, but no, that's not what I was saying at all. And I, 
Um, and especially on Thanksgiving, they're they're big football people, so we sit and watch all the games. It's a good time. No better place to let stuff like that rip than over the airwaves, right? Yeah, I've said worse. Hey, Borky, I can't tell. Are you moonwalking or crawfishing? <laughs> just, just trying to figure out what your chosen backtrack method was. Oh, it's not. It's it's not a backtrack. It's really not. That I was. I was speaking in generalities. I, I am, am lucky with the family I married into. Mm. Uh, let's see. Richard and Wiggins. Hey, Dad. He directs this at you. He says he wants to eat in a restaurant whose part owner has won two Super Bowls. Fair enough. Uh, Quinn says that uh, Manning's is good, so is Deuce's place. He's been to both. Whoa, we may have to work on that a little bit. That could be a that heck one. of a lot of fun. Hey, what a cool way to wrap up week one of the football season, huh? That would be fantastic. Yeah, that would be week two college football, right? Yes, it would be week two college football, week one NFL. I would just three stay in count New Orleans. Zero. I would stay in New Orleans from the end of the Louisiana Lafayette game. Y'all could just I'll just stay there for a week and meet y'all down there. We can get an Airbnb. Yeah, these are all great <laughs> ideas. Uh let me tell you what uh no. I'm not doing an Airbnb. Well, but you've got to do the right kind. Borky, there are hotels in New Orleans. I have no reason to stay in somebody else's home that I don't know. I, I know, and I know your reservations, and I've stayed in an Airbnb where it was somebody else's live-in residence, and it was awkward and uncomfortable, but you've got to find the ones that are only used as rentals, where it's not customized and personalized and nobody lives there. It's so much better than staying at a hotel. You know what's always not lived in by somebody else? A hotel. A hotel room. But Airbnb Besides, has cleanliness. You get hotel do, points do you like in Airbnb. I'll make a frittata. You don't like Airbnb? Never done it. So how do you know you don't like it? He doesn't. I don't like want to go idea. live in somebody else's house. But that's You're not living really there. You're just Airbnb there. is great. It's Are you so a big much... Airbnb guy? I lived in an Airbnb all summer. It's so hey, much. That was like a too. multi-month rental. I've still done it. I did it. I've done it on football trips, like for work and stuff before. Not here, but other places. It's a lot of times it beats spiked room rates and like. I mean, I guess New Orleans, you'd probably be more susceptible to a disastrous experience. But like, they clean the house and everything. I did have one flood in Orlando. That was tough. Flush the toilet and boom. Oof. But aside from that, it's all been all good. I guess I just countered. Counter my own point. I'm just going to say one more time, I don't want to stay in somebody else's house that I don't know. You guys are welcome to get an Airbnb. Be my guest. I'll come pick you up on the way to the ball game. That'd be fine. What? We can all Uber there separately. I'm just going to Uber to the game from my hotel room. Well, you can be the guy so, that cost the trip more money than the other three. That's fine. So That's what's on the you. difference? What's the difference between that and a hotel where someone else has stayed in that room before? Housekeeping. You get that with Airbnb. You get that with Airbnb. How do I know they weren't running the vacuum themselves and put some dirty sheets on the bed? Because as part of your your fee, it's a cleaning service, a professional cleaning service that comes in and takes care of it all. It's like a hotel with a living room in your own fridge. It's great stuff. Okay, here's the deal, guys. If you want to cut the cord, you're welcome to cut the cord. I'm still going to pay for cable or satellite. I want a remote control in my hand. 
I want to flip channels. The rabbit If ears. you guys want to stay at an Airbnb, you are more than welcome to. Oh, we'll and I do hope that you're and... able to save money, and I hope it's luxurious, and there's a nice little pool in the backyard and everything else. I am going to stay at a hotel. Well, and we'll have a party, and you're not invited. So That's fine. <laughs> New Orleans has more than just your party. Well, ours Is that will a be Nokia better. brick on the table? No, it's not a Nokia brick. Okay. Oh, he upgraded I, to the Motorola like Razor. It's not like I'm super old-fashioned. Yeah. I just want to stay in a hotel, not somebody Even else's I, house. The old grumpy man of the group is like, Airbnb is a fine choice. That's fantastic. I'm happy for you. And basically what we're, we're saying is... You, you guys are trying to get me to argue about something that there's no argument for. I'm, I'm fine with you doing that. I don't believe I'm just not doing happy. it. Well, I'll cook breakfast for Rippy and Borky then, and they'll like That's it. That's great. I'll eat downstairs at the Ritz-Carlton's breakfast. On dishes someone else has used before, I think. Uh, Probably uh, so. Somebody else's. That fork has been in someone's mouth. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> oh, Adam says, what's the difference in Airbnb and Uber? I'm getting in some stranger's car who's actually controlling where I'm going. Ooh. There you go, Adam. Uh, again. <laughs> but... I, I, that's a little different, though, because taxis, like, hotel rooms are clean, especially the better ones. Like, you can expect clean sheets in a clean room. Ubers have a cleanliness standard that taxis, if they have it, they don't follow it. So Uber's the better option because yeah. you're getting the exact same service, but one's just cleaner and better. That is a good point. You get into a taxi, sometimes you get out thinking, like, if I die in a couple weeks, I'll know where. <laughs> and they all smell the same. Well, they don't all smell the same. But and I feel like all the taxis in New York City smell the same. And I don't trust them either. With Uber, like on your app, it gives you the direct route from where you are to your location. So if you're yeah, in a you strange city, you can keep up and make sure they're not overcharging you. If you're in a, a new city and you've never, you tell the taxi where you want to go, I mean, they can weave in and out of streets and you have no idea because you've never been there and charge you more. I know so from clearly experience. the three of you are on Team Airbnb, and apparently Adam is as well. Am I the only guy out here that's like, hey, yeah, I, I'm glad I mean, it's I'll great stay concept. in a hotel. I, I, I don't have an issue with that, but I'm just saying if we were to get a house at a good rate, that's fine. Okay. If you try it once, you will see why we are this way. No, I don't think so. Really, okay. really don't. Well, I, all of this to say, if you want to sponsor this little trip of ours, give me, shoot me an email, Borky at supertalk.fm. Help us out. Airbnb will not be sponsoring us. No. Well, they, they might, might sponsor, sponsor us. the three of you guys. <laughs> sponsor us. So, so if you're going to sponsor this trip that Borky has asked you to email him about, just know that you're going to have to cover the cost of an Airbnb and a hotel room for me. No. No. You get your own Kickstarter going. Yeah. This is an us versus you thing now, buddy. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it works that way, but yeah, I, I, I don't make the rules around think here. It so. works that way. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. Just, uh, just say, hey, let's uh, quickly get to the college football fix. It's driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. But it's not just trucks. It's the cars and the SUVs as well. Spring savings event going on at your Ford dealers. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. Give me short and sweet. Give you a timeline. Brody A. Miller at NOLA.com. News broke about Joe Oliva stepping down before 11 a.m. Right around 11 a.m. 
The announcement from LSU was released at 3.59 p.m. News broke of Scott Woodward agreeing to become LSU Athletics Director at 4.25 p.m. How about that for a timeline? AD out, official announcement. 26 minutes later, news breaks. Woodward has agreed to be hired. Pretty good story at NOLA.com from uh, Brody Miller about what has happened. His lead is it took less than 24 hours, but LSU has its man to replace Joe Oliva as athletic director Scott Woodward. How about this? He has a camp in Grand Isle, an apartment in the French Quarter, which he does not rent out via Airbnb. Can we just stay with him? And his family lives in Baton Rouge. Woodward is an LSU alumnus who served as a liaison between the university and government and corporate officials, perhaps those at Our Lady of the Lake, at LSU under then-Chancellor and now NCAA CEO Mark Emmert. Since being hired at A&M, Woodward has helped build the profile of A&M. He hired Jimbo Fisher to a 10-year, $75 million contract. He also hired Buzz Peterson. Meanwhile, Joe Oliva attempted to fire LSU coach Les Miles to hire Fisher in 2015, but the deal fell through. Joe Oliva is credited with firing Les Miles and hiring Ed Ogeron. Joe Oliva out, Scott Woodward in, in Baton Rouge. That's your college football fix. Back with you Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, coming to you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Jonathan Jones on your radio right now, writes at Sports Illustrated. Really interesting piece about DK Metcalf. Uh, uh, He is a, a fascinating case study going into this year's NFL draft. Jonathan, appreciate a, a few minutes of your time this afternoon. When you look at these mock drafts, kind of all over the place, a lot of them have DK Metcalf in the first round. Some of them have him not in the first round. And then the backstory of how much football has this guy actually played comes into play. And you have all of that with the backdrop of an unbelievable NFL combine and a physique that kind of makes him look like Adonis. Yeah, you know, first of all, thanks for having me on, and you're right. And there's there's a lot going on here. Uh, you know, he, he completed just 19 collegiate games. I know your listeners know that. Played in 21, obviously, his, his first game, he broke his foot. Or second game, rather, he broke his foot. Uh, and then his last game, obviously, with the neck injury, uh, where he fractured his neck. And so you have that. And, you know, he says they're freak injuries and that they won't happen again. Uh, you have the fact that he ran a very limited route tree uh, while at Mississippi. Um, you, <laughs> but then you start looking at it, and his measurables are, are legitimately unlike anything that the NFL has ever seen. Six foot three and a half, uh, two twenty eight. He checks in at the combine as, which is down from the two thirty five he was at in that viral photo, which I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, but the four three three, the forty and a half inch vertical, the twenty seven reps on bench press, and then. He changes direction slower than Tom Brady did in 2000 coming out of Michigan. We all remember the, the photo of Tom Brady in those terrible gray shorts and how unathletic he was then <laughs> and still is today. And so, listen, you know, I talked to a lot of folks 
uh, in the NFL. And I'll tell you this, DK got very high marks on character. Uh, he got very high marks, obviously, in terms of passion for football uh, and obviously what he can do with his body. The question, of course, is can he run every route? No, he can't. And But for a lot of teams, that's okay. Uh, not, a, not every receiver in the NFL can run every route. And when you have a guy like him who is so good on go routes uh, in terms of speed and going up over a cornerback, you have a guy who can run a slant route probably better than anybody in the NFL, um, those things are where he wins, and that's what you're going to want to accentuate. What is the route that would be most concerning to NFL teams that he can't run? Yeah, I think it's really any sort of route where he's building up speed and then has to break it down and change a direction. So, you know, uh, we're talking about a dig. We're talking about an out route, right, where, you know, he's running straight ahead 20 yards. And I mentioned the story. He says he runs like a gazelle. It's not a gazelle, right? I mean, he's flying, there's no doubt, but there's a lot of power behind his speed. And to break that down immediately and then flip his hips 90 degrees or uh, even more than that, that's a really difficult thing to do from just a physics standpoint, right? That, that's not saying anything about his want to or anything. This is simple biomechanics. Uh, and once that quarterback, right, starts seeing him break down a little bit, all right, now I, it's triggered in my mind, right, because I'm looking at my keys. I know that something is about to happen. Uh, and, you know, if it isn't out, you think the corner may be able to jump that. He's a big guy. Can he shield him? I don't know, and so that's the kind of route that you want to keep him away from, especially where he wins in so many other areas. So, so more let, less gazelle, more Japanese bullet train. <laughs> that's exactly right. I pity the fool who has to step in front of him. Oh yeah, that, no question about that. Um, I thought there was a really interesting part of your story where you talked about his reticence to take his shirt off for a photo session. That, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, you know, I didn't know going down to Mississippi what, you know, what he was necessarily like, but I'm doing a whole bunch of research, right? And I'm going and I'm combing through all the old photos and stories written about him through his high school and collegiate years. And one thing I'm noticing is he always seems to have an undershirt on. And I go back, I looked at some of his high school basketball photos, and you know that he's the most ripped 17-year-old kid on the court, probably because he's the most ripped 17-year-old you've ever seen. And there he is with the compression short sleeve shirt on underneath the jersey. I was like, something has to be going on with this. You go to his Instagram, there are, there's like two shirtless photos on there, one from spring break two years ago. So I just asked him, like, what's the deal with this? And, and he told me, and it was kind of the lead to the story, is that, you know, I, I don't want people to think I'm cocky about my body. He even said, you know, he's 21 years old. He's like, I'm going to have a wife one day. I don't want her to, I don't want to have to answer questions from her about why there are so many shirtless photos of me floating around on the internet, which was such a, like, a nice, innocent thing to say. As a longtime NFL writer, thinking to myself, oh, thank goodness you're not jaded yet. Uh, you're, not cr- you're not crotchety and grouchy, right? Um, and so all of those things, it, it was really interesting, just such a, an innocence about him. Uh, but, yeah, and, you know, kudos to him. He's not going to be out there and in your face. And I even kind of write about he's the, the, the attention that he's receiving. You know, he wants to be the hometown hero. He wants to put Oxford, Mississippi on his back. But there's also something else that comes along with that. There is this celebrity that I don't know if he's necessarily ready for. When he got back from the combine, the good folks of Oxford, Mississippi, were all over DK to the point where 
He even said to me, I didn't put this in the story, he said, listen, I didn't want to sign autographs or take pictures when I was at a restaurant table. I wanted them to grab me on my way to the bathroom so that it wouldn't be a scene uh, at my table. <laughs> so, you know, he, he's really grappling a little bit with, with that celebrity. He, he thought that he's always wanted, and now he's getting it. Jonathan Jones from Sports Illustrated on your radio. We're talking about the story that he wrote about DK Metcalf. We'll retweet it from the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed, Sports Talk M-I-S-S. It's interesting you say that, Jonathan. He and A.J. Brown were together at an Ole Miss basketball game right after the Combine, and they were sitting courtside together. And A.J. Brown has this personality that's just absolutely larger than life. He's always got a smile on his face. Not that DK doesn't wear a smile on his face also, but they put the camera on the two of them, and AJ stands up and he's kind of waving to the crowd and raising his arms in the air, and and DK just kind of gives a just kind of a half wave with a little bit of a, a, a sheepish grin on his face. Yeah. You know, one interesting thing again as I'm researching the story and I'm trying to figure out certain angles, I thought that the Oxford angle was really really interesting. Obviously, his dad and his mom went there. His dad played there. They still yeah. live there. He's grown up there. Basically, that's the only city he's known, short of you know his dad playing for the Chicago Bears for a few years as he's growing up. Even as his mom was studying her master's, that was his freshman year at Mississippi. So the two of them are literally going to school together. And so Oxford clearly plays a big role in his life. And so we were we did a photo shoot. I don't know if these photos ever saw the light of day, but uh, we take him on the main drag over there, right, like South Lamar, if, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, we're in front of this pizza shop, and we have him sitting on the hood of his car. We're taking photos. It's the middle of the day. Everyone's shouting out DK at him, and he is so visibly uh, awkward and nervous <laughs> and just does not want to be there. And it got to the point, I don't know if you're, you you remember several years ago when Marshawn Lynch was doing that. I'm just here so I don't get fined. And we all kind of made a joke about it. Why didn't want to talk to the media? And as time went on, we kind of realized, number one, Marshawn doesn't seem like that bad of a guy. And then number two, he actually was physically, like, nervous and ill about being in this position. That's exactly what DK was. Like, I even apologized to him. I said, well, yeah, sorry about that, man. I didn't know it had that effect on you. Jonathan, last thing for you. We've got a couple of minutes left. You, you you mentioned Calvin Johnson in the story that that that's kind of the physical comparison that a lot of people have labeled uh, on DK Metcalf. Is that a reasonable comparison? Is it a fair comparison? It's really tough, especially when you look at the measurables. Just because it, he he's right when he says no one's done what he's done before in terms of uh, in terms of the measurables at the combine. And so yeah, you look at his body and you say, all right, that's Calvin Johnson, that's Julio Jones, but. You know, Julio Jones is is a top-two NFL receiver, and he's a top-two NFL receiver. And DK even said this when he was on ESPN earlier today. Uh, he, he's 6'3", but he runs routes like he's 5'11". And there's there's no question what Julio can do on an out route. Uh, there, there's absolutely no question about that. These change of direction times kind of take him to a level of other big-body receivers who weren't as strong and were not as fast. There's no doubt at all about that. But they also struggled at John Baldwin. Uh, who was a first-round pick out of Kansas City. And it wasn't just his body. It was his head that got him out of the NFL after three years. And so it's just so difficult to project. And, yeah, I'll tell you, as a writer of this story, I 100% wanted to call the guy who used to be D.K. Metcalf, who either succeeded or failed. And the fact is there has never been a D.K. Metcalf in terms of uh, height, weight, speed, size that's ever come through. And so he is one of one, and I'm very excited to see what he makes of his talent. Gut feeling. Does he go in the first round? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm surprised to see some of these mocks that don't have him in the first round. 
I do think he's still going to be the first receiver taken. But in every draft, there are surprises. But I do think that he's a first-rounder for sure. Jonathan, great story, and really appreciate you uh, spending a few minutes with us this afternoon. Really interesting stuff. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. That's Jonathan Jones from Sports Illustrated. Uh, Borky, can we tweet the link to that story? It's already out there, one step ahead of you. All right, very good. You can uh, check out Sports Talk M-I-S-S on Twitter. Really interesting conversation with Jonathan Jones talking about DK Metcalf. Expects that he will be drafted one week from tomorrow as a first-rounder. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.